0: Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Bombercast. I am your host, Sponsor34, alongside the Grizz, as always. How are you, Grizz? I'm doing well. Uh, Refreshed off a
1: week off of watching footy, which is nice. Probably not the refresh of the players, but uh, looking forward to this
0: week. And uh, tonight on our Bombercast, we do have a very special guest. Now, this this man has played 243 games for the Eston Football Club. He won the Crichton Medal in 1993, which was, course of course, a premiership year. He won the Michael Tuck Medal in 1994. He was uh, captain in 1996 and 97, as assistant coach between 2005 and 2010, and actually did was senior coach for a game in 2006 there as well against Carlton. Now, I think everybody listening probably knows who I'm talking about by now, but if you don't, we do have Gary O'Donnell with us this, this evening. So welcome to the Bombercast, Gary.
2: Pleasure to be here, gentlemen, and thanks for the invite. Hopefully, it gets good stuff out of me, but if you don't, you can just delete it. It's okay.
1: Uh, well, we're very excited to have you, Gary. I think you're certainly the favourite guest we've had so far for me. Uh, that's...
2: <laughs> uh, we just <can laughs> say that to all the players. <laughs>
1: uh, we try not to. Gary, thanks for jumping on. Uh, we, we wanted to, to touch on a whole sort of range of things today. And I, I suppose, you know, we'll obviously start from the start, which is your playing career. But before Eston, you came from what seemed to be a pretty fertile recruiting ground for Eston, which is the Ringwood area. Uh, you played for North Ringwood as a junior alongside Fish. So taking us back to before the AFL, um, obviously a few Essendon players came from that area. What were your memories of playing junior footy? Do you have any sort of fond memories?
2: Well, I loved the game of footy. There was a long history of people in my family playing. There's four generations, actually five now, because a girl called Georgie Rankin, and uh, my niece also, uh, Jasmine Fleming, plays for Hawthorne. So if you count the women, which we do in our family, you uh, you got five generations. So always grew up on footy. My dad got to see him play local footy. He played AFL, uh, or VFL in those days. Eight games long, 15 at north. And I was but he played till he was 40 in local comp. So I was able to follow him up the mountain. Actually, you know, Linda, he played at 40 years old in 1978. So that was good. My earliest memories playing myself. Dad never let me play till I was 10. Uh, was under 13 was the lowest. Uh, or the youngest age you could play, and he wouldn't let me play till I was 10. And went, finally got a game, play every second week, probably the white, big white shorts were too big for me. <laughs>
0: um,
2: wore the old Jenkins boots. I don't know if any people remember them. They are high cut above the ankle. And Dad said, no, they protect your ankle. You're going to wear them most of your career as a kid if I'm in, in control of you. Uh, But the local grounds in those days, really muddy. I'd come off one day and just drop the boots in front of him at his feet. I was actually tearing up, said, I'm never wearing these again. I want low cut (laughs) boots like every other kid. And uh, I got my uh, wish and got low cut boots that week. I long sleeve for a couple of years. I wasn't a real footballer until I got short sleeves. So I think it was in my third year. I was able to get a short sleeve at Guernsey and I was a real footballer. So under 13, uh, played with Paul Salmon in the local comp, uh, North Ringwood. We won a couple of flags as kids. We also had Peter Banfield play with us and uh, he played with Essendon in that area. Both him and Fish were out at Essendon earlier than me. They were a little bit more developed. He played a couple of years with us, couldn't quite get a game in those strong teams and moved to Brisbane. So yeah. they're my first memories of footy in the East. Uh, in a as you said, a very fertile ground or, or um, area for Essendon, both that, the Essendon area and the Horsham or the, the Wimmera district in the country in the far west of Victoria. That was a really good area in the days of zones rather than the draft.
1: Paul Vanderhaal was from Ringwood, I think. Not North Ringwood, but from Ringwood. And then I think Kevin Walsh and Dean Bailey both come from North Ringwood as well. So we tend to, to pick our players from there. But, um, sorry, of
2: years older than me. Uh, Dean Bailey, a couple of years younger. You uh, also had, well, Vander was Ringwood. Had Nobby Clark at Ringwood. Yep. Uh, earlier than that, Robin Close at Ringwood. You had uh, Daisy Williams come from Vermont. So yeah, yeah, you had quite a, like a quite a, a good strong list of buyers coming from the east to to supplement the Essendon area and the Wimmera district.
0: Yeah, it was definitely a strong time um, for the Essendon Football Club, as we saw through sort of that that mid 90s or oh, mid 80s, sorry, early 90s period. And you did sort of say that you weren't probably as developed as someone like Fish. And so you, your career in VFL level started off in the twos, and you, and you, you you played over 50 games, was it, before you actually managed to to debut. For the senior side do you think maybe that's something nowadays that the the league's missing a little bit so we don't really have that standalone two side for the comp now so i mean a, a young player these days would be very rare to see them play 50 vfl games before being able to step up into the seniors
2: yeah they've been moved on by then haven't they i think just different players different people take different amounts of times to make it some are really prepared when they get to a club you know young horn francis he was you know Three-year-old body, he was going to play straight away, and and at North <laughs> Melbourne in their situation. Yeah, but yeah, look, I, I maybe I wasn't ready. I was, I, and I just needed that time. I, I think I was fortunate to come through in those days because the reserves competitions were pretty strong as well. You had a lot of uh, men playing football in the the lower uh, level and in the reserves, either coming back from injury or just the lists were a little bit older perhaps you had guys out of form so I get to play on you know AFL or sorry VFL standard blokes playing in the seconds and that helped develop me as well uh, it took actually 67 games of reserves before I got a game and but I after that albeit I thought I could get a year probably a year earlier I should have got a game or could have got a game not should you're not entitled to anything in in sport but I, once I got that game, I knew I was ready and I, I was fully equipped to have some sort of career uh, if I was good enough. I, I'd been working on a lot of things. Uh, Sheed's came to me and said, oh, I, "All these times, I don't think you—you you know, you don't put the ball quite well enough to, on your right foot, Gary." Well, yeah, okay, you go and work on that. But I, I have one in ten keep on my right side. So the, a coach is just trying to you know, keep you. <laughs> uh with a message i suppose to and, and string you along but yeah look they must have seen something in me as well to keep me there if you count the under 19 year it's four years the end yeah, of the fourth okay. year before i get a game so they, they saw something in me but really they had to be uh, patient but yeah there's plenty of blokes that can come straight into senior footy as an 18 year old and, and have an impact as well
1: do you think reserves footy was more part of a footballer's life cycle back in the 80s and the 90s because i think you're right so you, the players either are, are moved on or get or seek to be moved on really nowadays if they're in the reserves for longer than you know two three seasons at a time the carlton game talked about how he'd played a lot of reserves football with guys like jordan ridley and jane LaVerty and um these sorts of players and it actually helped them when they stepped into seniors do you think there's something sort of missing from that in today's day and age or do you think development's come such a long way at afl level that you can uh, compare that
2: there's a lot more time for development they're time players they've got development coaches I, I think it was you know sheeds who was the only full-time bloke and you might add a couple of part-time assistants so you're really you're relying on that sort of those limited resources and probably senior players that are helping you through as well when mason says "Oh, i was in the reserves for a while yeah <laughs> well it was hardly that compared to the, the blokes in my day. But there was less pressure on us when we came through. There was only our family that was getting frustrated. My father was. He was he was saying, oh, Gary, you just don't run like you used to. before." I broke my leg at 17 and missed 18 months before I played in the under-19s. Oh, you just don't run you know, like you used to. You're not doing this, not doing that. So it was really only family, maybe friends that take an interest that had any interest in you whereas these days you've got you know the advent of social media and you've got you know a lot of pressure a lot of spotlight on every individual player on a list and it's much different coming through and and supporters and people that follow the club put a lot of pressure on the club to make decisions on players either to okay they're not good enough move them on or to start playing them in the the seniors to to have a look at them yeah a lot more pressure these days and yeah it's going to be a rare situation where you have you know the apprenticeships that uh some of us had in the in the past
0: I think I think you and I agree can definitely agree there's a lot of pressure on the players in social media these days how, how do you think you would have gone Gary do, do you think you would have thrived in this sort of environment or you know you're pretty happy that you, you skipped this sort of era
2: at times you think oh geez it's little bit over the top but no i think i would have thrived just to be able to prepare professionally uh 24 7. and also i prided myself on on my preparation and was fairly consistent so you know I, i wasn't a bad player but i wasn't one of the stars but my lows weren't low and my highs weren't as you know some of the champion players that have played so I would have loved this situation because I reckon I would have been able to to have a really good, strong, solid career and probably get more out of myself being able to be, you know, fully concentrating on it solely.
1: We would probably argue you had a decent career regardless. Um, yeah, so absolutely. I, th- I think... Um, when, I've had honest... a couple,
2: when I've had a couple of drinks, I say I've, you know, played 43 good games, <laughs> 200 great ones. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, <laughs> Seriously, yeah. look, uh, proud of the career, but pr- more proud of the consistency, I reckon. Just I didn't really have too many really poor games. They, yeah, okay, there were room for improvement games, but they, you, what you normally wanted from Gary O'Donnell, you normally got it uh, as close yeah. as you could. So that was what I prided myself on.
1: You did win the best Ferris in 93 as Bonti, but I think you had six straight years in the top three of the best Ferris, which would probably goes more to what you're saying in that just, you were a consistently good player, a, a very sort of tough sort of player. We appreciate that. But we just want to talk about yeah, your best footy. So. When did you think, yeah, obviously you won the best and fairest in 93 and that was a great year for the club in what was sort of a, a premiership out of nowhere for, for the Bombers, which will take any day of the week. But your footy career, when you look back, when and, and what do you think your best football was? Do you think it was that 93 year or do you think that was just the top of the votes?
2: No, 93 was my best year, but there there was a few that were close. I didn't mind 95 either. I thought uh, that was fairly strong. And actually, 1990 as well, 1993, 95. But yeah, I, I think just you don't, in you're not thinking that, you'd probably looking back on the career, you you, you can make those sort of judgments. But, um, you know, I was 28 years old in 1993. You're at the footy club for 10 years. Your output should be at your best, I would have thought, because you slightly go downhill uh, after the 30s, or you don't get any better. I suppose uh, some some do but most don't so i yeah 28 the prime time and uh was my sweet spot and it was my favorite year just to, my favorite 15 minutes of footy that year was the last 15 minutes of the grand final we knew we were <laughs> hit the first couple about 10 minute mark where we're 10 goals up and i just yeah. put myself behind the ball players in the eye knowing that you know the grins knowing that we would we we'd got the game you know looking at people in the stands it was a fabulous 15 minutes of my life i mean um,
0: 1990 that, like, that grand final um i'm not sure if people are aware but you actually had the most disposals on the ground alongside michael long um the difference because he, he, he kicked two goals and you kicked two points so if you, you kicked two goals maybe maybe the North Smith medal voting would have gone uh, a, a different way but I do have to ask. It's it's a question that we got got put to us. His goal, his goal on the line there. Did Silvani get anywhere near it, or because you would have had the perfect view, being on the ground, you would have been able to see it clear as day. So,
2: yeah, it went through his hands. It took almost <laughs> took two fingers off. So that you know, <laughs> let's not debate it. But I think the was isn't it recently the nineteen seventy nine Wayne Harms? Yes, yes. Uh, line one's been proven to be uh, in so i'm sure in the future the michael long Silvani touched goal will be proven to be a goal at some point in the future as well we can continue to say it probably was touched the way uh, sauce carried on about it didn't he carry on (laughs) he did
0: and and i'll be honest i I had i've always had a bit of a laugh watching the game back because the commentators say oh yeah no it was definitely touched and i and i watched the footage going we we have goal review now with better cameras and you can't tell that stuff.
2: <laughs> How the hell can
0: they, they were very yeah. quick to jump on it in, in, in ninety three?
2: Yeah, well, you know, the ways the ways uh arced up probably, but you know? The, just the run, the you know, the agility, the speed, just it deserved a goal. And probably the three weeks he played before that. He kicked a couple like that that um, you know, just lit us up and carried us over the line in that final series. So
1: can we just talk generally about 1993? Because that was it was a strange year in AFL balances. It was an even year. Like the, the box came up sort of, not out of nowhere, but probably weren't expected to be Premiership fancies in that year. But you know, Essendon and Carlton finished on top. It was a very sort of even year across the board. Going into 1993, did you get the feeling that you thought you were a chance? Or did you think you know, you might be a finals aspiration because you still had a loaded team. Like it was you, you still had, you know, James Heard was obviously the young Timmy Watson. A bunch of really from the 80s were still in that team as well. Did you ever get the feeling going into the year that what you did in '93 was possible?
2: Any Kevin Sheedy coached team that I was involved in in pre-season thought we had a chance uh, at the end of the year. If things went right, We got the environment right, we got a bit of luck, we were always a chance. That was the nature that she'd built in us. So 93 was no different. We've won one out of one and a half games out of the first five of that season. So after that, you're thinking, geez, this could be a long year. But yeah, as you said, we still had, you know, the likes of, you know, Bomber, Harbs, Fish from the early 80s or mid 80s premierships. Yeah, the other, you know, group of mid-range blokes, myself, you know, Buick, although when you say mid, mid-range, I was as old as uh, Harves and Salmon. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Chrissy Danaher, Dave Grenvold, those types and Longy. And then, you know, little did we know that the seven or eight young kids that got introduced into the team, the, the previous year, some in that year and then some the previous year that played in a reserves premiership with Simon Madden and Terry Danaher as well the year before. So that was a good experience for them. But little did we know that probably four or five even five of them might be in the afl hall of fame some are already in it but will might you know be in inducted into the afl hall of fame in future
0: yeah. and
2: just, it just all sort of come together and that they, they were young kids that didn't know how to lose just uh kept trying all the time they were easy to coach it was only a, a simple set of you know team rules that we had there was 10 actually that we had that we had to adhere to and they just were really. They were like plasticine, really malleable, and were able to. Um, we're all able to come together. It was, a, as you said, it was a tight year. I think we had a bye the last round. Uh, the second last round we played Geelong and beat us by three or four goals. We lost about five blokes through injury, yeah. and uh, we were on top. But we needed results to go our way in that last round. It was only a twenty game season so things had to happen i think carlton got done and we needed bulldogs to or north not to beat Bulldogs by too much and yeah so and we end up just i think it was one game or one and a half games uh was the difference between first and sixth um Yeah, yeah final six so anything could have happened it was really close but we finished on top so i believe that we didn't pinch a premiership i think we deserved it we just played we were the best team in the last three weeks of the year as well and uh, got the money.
1: Yeah, I think it was two wins of difference between first and ninth. Like, it was, yeah. it was significantly, like, quite log-jammed in, you're right. It went so far. Um, Yeah, and, like, it's the sort of thing the AFL would dream of that in the modern day, wouldn't it, if there were, you know, two games between one and nine. It probably isn't possible with a, a 23-game season and with the way sort of the draft and the salary cap works, but it's just an incredible year looking back.
2: Who knows? They might be able to luck it again and get that, but um, you never know. And, uh, you know, the, even this year, our blokes uh, just, you know, motoring along nicely. You never know what's going to happen in a, a season of footy. You just, you know, some teams that are, are touted, they get a few injuries. You know, you have a, a purple patch. You finish a little bit higher than you, you thought you would. You know, you maybe even... See, we may not make the finals this year, but we may also finish fourth. Who knows? It just <laughs> just depends on how results go and how luck goes. Yep. And uh, geez, you never know. You can give it a crack uh, in any given year.
0: I'll just move along a little bit in the 90s. And obviously, you took over the captaincy in 96 and 97. Did that have changed your approach to how you played? And also, I just want to quickly ask, 96, do you ever look back at that one as that being one that maybe got away? Because, you know, Long did his knee against Geelong in the Heritage game. Uh, Lloyd, Lloyd, you went down early in the prelim against Sydney, which lost by a point. You know, there's no guarantee you would have been North the following week, but you don't lose to him by two goals during the year. So do do you look back and go, what if with that year as well, maybe?
2: was really disappointing. Uh yes, you said you mentioned I was the captain and you know maybe did it change? You I'm not you know I don't think it did. It it might have, but I don't think it did. I I think I still tried to go about the around the club the same way as I did. I think your skipper has to be impeccable in the area of what your team wants to do, the rules, the way it plays, the way it conducts itself. The captain and its couple of leaders have to be impeccable in that area so that players can't say, oh, he's not doing it. I don't have to do it. So that was how I approached um, my leadership and and captaincy. It was a really disappointing year. It was the 100th anniversary of the like the VFL, I suppose, 1897 to 1996. Uh, it was a gold cup. The premiership cup was gold. All the medallions were gold. It was something that, Geez, it would have been good to win. Yes, we had a, a bit of bad luck. We there was four or five others in that preliminary final that got injured by the the end of the game. They whether some of them would have come up. I think Mark McCurry missed, and he might have been coming back for the following week. But what I can say was North Melbourne were the you know the raging hot favourites that year. But once you make a grand final, anything can happen. We've seen it a lot. It's just what happens on the day. So you have just given yourself every chance to win one by qualifying. And that was the biggest disappointment, not being able to get over Sydney, especially being two goals up with about two and a half to play. We just couldn't get a hold of the footy (laughs) and hold it up. I think we were best around that uh, time in footy. We were about the best team at counting down the clock. And being able to hold the ball, you know, keep the ball, pass short, you know, manipulate the opposition. And and we just didn't even we couldn't get one mark that allowed us to do that in that last two and a half minutes. And that was the really disappointing part.
1: There's something about losing to Sydney in heartbreaking circumstances up in Sydney that Essendon just happens to do. Like we even Monday, you think of um yeah, you know, Gary Rowan kicking the go after the siren by, you know, manhandling Gleeson or Dane Rampey climbing a goalpost. There's something about Essendon playing in Sydney <laughs> that it's just...
2: Amazing. The following year, I think 94, we lost by a point to them up there as well. And, uh, sorry, 90, uh, 97, sorry, we've lost by a point to them. And we, I think we might have won. So, yeah, extraordinary circumstances. And it was just good to see Collingwood this uh, last year lose a prelim up there, Buy a point and yeah. uh draw level with us in the preliminary final one point loss stakes.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I just wanted to ask ninety-six and ninety seven you captain. Um obviously you went there sort of in ninety-nine and two thousand. I think you you finished up in ninety-eight. But a lot of the guys that played in that team, you think of your carouselers, your blumfields, um, your Buicks, not Buick's so much as um it, maybe your Moorcrofts and those sorts of guys were coming through at that stage as opposed to necessarily being sort of senior players. Do you do you remember captaining that group and remembering what sort you thought of them, knowing that in a couple of years they would go on and have probably the most dominant season in professional sports in Australian history, like 21 and one, four, three straight final wins, a couple of premium finals by 10 plus goals, like a sort of an extraordinary group. Did you get a feeling when you were captaining those guys of what they were capable of?
2: Yeah, incredible season, how it ended up a couple of years later. The the best thing that the footy club did is probably move on some of their deadwood, and I was one of those. End of 98, <laughs> probably thought I had another half year you know, year in, in front of me, possibly, but I was stonewalled. I was told to retire, and um, disappointing it came up. It was back page of the Herald Sun the next day after I left the uh, review meeting say, okay, we'll work out in the next 48 hours how we're going to announce it. Yeah, you know, O'Donnell retires, but yeah, O'Donnell sacked the next day, wasn't impressive on the back page of the sun. I think there was a few people maybe on the board that were trying to get at Sheeds that released that information, but that's spilt milk now. You never burn your bridges. Uh, love the footy club and it's uh and what it stands for. And um it's just one of those things. I didn't really notice that you, that there were some good good uh younger players coming through, but probably She's maybe I was just mired in my own career, trying to just get over the line and, and, you know, do well enough to stay in the side in 98, my last year. And my last game was the marshmallow game when North <laughs> Melbourne beat us. And, uh, she's got pelted with marshmallows after the game. And there was a lot of synergy in my career. My first game in the, at the end of 87 against Collingwood, I didn't get on until halftime, there was no rotations in those days and I was running up and down the boundary in the first half, couldn't get on. Paul Vandaha got hurt. I got uh, a run at the start of the third quarter, played on Peter Dacos for the second half. And then in 98, my last year, the elimination final, I didn't get on till halftime again, no rotations. And uh, I think that was the sign that uh, Gary, the footy club, thinks you're going to move on and it's time to go. But, yeah, look, full credit to the footy club to to keep churning the list, to keep finding out new players and finding out who's going to take them to the next premiership. And they did that really quickly in uh, 2000 after possibly being able to do it in 99 after a bad preliminary final loss to Carlton as well.
0: I think if you'd uh, been there, Gary, in 99, you you probably would have been able to tell Dean Wallace to just kick the bloody thing long as opposed to trying to run around Fraser Brown.
2: Yeah, I'm probably hanging a few tickets on myself Right now. I wouldn't have got a game because I wouldn't have deserved it form wise. But if I had played that last five minutes of that game, I reckon I might have been able to get us over the line. Yeah. Um, or even the <laughs> last quarter. But yep, it was just another another thing in the history of the Carlton and, and Essendon makeup in, in finals footy that uh, will go down in folklore.
1: Well, we'll move on now to sort of your coaching career because you, you moved on, obviously, at the end of 98 um, and moved into sort of coaching roles. Now, you coached at Essendon and then at Brisbane. You coached at Brisbane, I believe, during that sort of 01 to 04 run. We won't hold 01 against Jagari. Um, but what was it like coaching under the experienced heads of, say, Lee Matthews and Kevin Sheedy as opposed to, you know, Matthew Knight and Michael Boss when you were there at Essendon and the Lions?
2: Well, both Matthews and Sheedy had score on the board when I coached under them. They'd won premiership or Lee had won one, uh, Sheeds had won four. He Both, you know, different coaches, both think football should be played in a different way to each other, but both really successful, both strong in their thoughts on how the game should be played, both, you know, different people on how they manage players as well, but both wonderful people in the history of the game, to both be able to get you know, four premierships in the modern era is uh, you know, a great effort. And if they had down patches in their coaching careers, they were given time to sort of bounce back because of that. Also I coached under Voss, uh, Matty Knights. They just didn't get the time uh, because footy's an impatient world. And as soon as you're, Struggling a little bit, you've got a lot of people on the club wanting them to make hard decisions to try and get the club in, you know, in a motion that's going forwards and upwards. So that that was disappointing. I, th- I think um, each one of those young blokes had their strengths as well and and their weaknesses, just like Matthews and Sheedy, but maybe they didn't quite get the time in an impatient football world.
0: So, with your own coaching career, did you ever want to to step up as a senior role? So, so obviously you took that that game when Sheeds hurt his shoulder tackling Dean Solomon, I believe it was in in two thousand and six, where Eddie Betts with the red time goal obviously cost us cost you the win and left you with a, the weird position of of, of having a draw. But did you ever get the appetite to step up? Because there was a lot of speculation that you were sort of the heir apparent to Sheeds, even though I think you but pretty adamant in the media at the time that you weren't. But was there ever an opportunity for you to maybe look into the senior role?
2: There were opportunities over the course of my, especially the first 12 years of assistant coaching. I did it for 18. So it was six Brisbane, six Essendon, six back at Brisbane. I had the opportunity. I just never saw myself as a senior coach. I just, there's a couple of things that I don't quite do well enough that I think need to be done to be a senior coach, uh, I won't go into them. I just thought I'm, I'm I'm, just, I was comfortable and, you know, enjoyed my time and I thought I was, had an impact as a, an assistant coach in various roles, you know, forward defence mids, um, you know, head of development at Brisbane at one point, uh, coaching the reserves at Brisbane. So uh, multiple roles, but just didn't see myself uh, as a senior coach. But yeah, there, I had a few approaches from clubs over the journey to put my hat into the ring. And the, the furthest I ever got was meeting uh, a headhunter for the West Coast position when they uh, end up pointing John Worsfold. Uh, virtually met him at a, an airport uh, lounge on one of our trips when I was at Brisbane. And uh, it was just, you know, filling him in and in, in saying, look, I'm not ready to coach and I don't see myself doing it in the future, you know, come knocking on my door in, in a few years' time. But, that's the that's the most I ever pursued it, but you know, and I'm quite comfortable with that. I, I'm not, I don't hold any regrets or anything like that. I I don't didn't see myself in that sort of role, and, and it didn't happen, and that's uh, that's all good.
0: I, I, I quickly just want to switch back to your playing days because there was just one question I, I wanted to ask, and you sort of figured me there a little bit. Did you ever consider leaving Essendon? Was there ever another club come knocking on the door trying to bring you across?
2: No, I took, well, uh, so the one year in the thirds, three years in the reserves, I had only one offer from a bloke. I went to Steve Parsons sisters 21st, and he was there and he was the old Richmond bloke. He was actually a young bloke in the 74 Windy Hill brawl playing for Richmond. He was actually coaching Brunswick in the VFA and or mm-hmm. VFL, maybe, whatever it was then and said, Oh, Gary, look, if you ever need a game of footy and you know, you're not happy at Essendon, Well, if they give you the flick, yeah, there's a game here for you at Brunswick. That was the only ever offer I got from any club, both suburban, VFL, VFL, AFL, uh, in my time.
1: Oh, well, we're glad you stayed at Essendon because um, obviously you had a a storied career there. Uh, Just going back to the coaching, I I don't, it's probably hard to compare because you're not a a coach in the current sort of AFL system now, but how have you seen the demand and the role of an assistant coach at AFL level change? It just seems like, yeah, all you hear about these assistant coaches, and I believe them when they say that, is that, that there's just so much to do and they're so overworked for, for what they get paid and stuff. Do, do you remember that being your experience when you were an assistant coach or do you think it, it sort of changed as the professionalism and the scrutiny on the sports increased over time?
2: I think in my first six years with Lee, it was pretty cruisy because Lee was pretty, Matthews was very autocratic. Obviously, we did a lot of stuff. Uh, there was only him and, and three of us: myself, uh, Magic McLean, and um, Matty Armstrong from uh, Fitzroy. We were the coaches, and then we had a couple of we had Craig Stasavich, sort of head of fitness, and uh, a guy called Scott Murphy, who's now the you know, the high performance manager at Geelong, from a, a rugby union background. He that was virtually our our list of coaches, our resources. So. But yeah, it wasn't, I reckon when you get back to Essendon, so that next block of six years, that's when it picked up. And yeah, in the modern era, the, just the going over a video and then putting presentations together. And um, yeah, it, it is quite a huge workload in season. In season only, you get there's it ebbs and flows. You get a good break. Um, in, in bye weekends at the end of the season and over Christmas, the clubs are pretty mindful of that. But in season, it's it's pretty tough. And look, yes, as you said, I've been out of it for six or seven years with the the caps coming back on footy department's fans. assistant coaches have, you know, been nipped in the bud and maybe more work as well with less staff. And, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing with coaching these days is to, have relationships with the playing group and players, and pretty hard to do that when you've got your head in a computer. So there's a lot of time that has to be spent forming a relationship with players. That that um, so she's a yeah she's a lot high lot, a lot of hours and, and in season she's pretty pretty torrid. But yeah, look, it's a really fulfilling industry as well and a full finish, fulfilling role if. Yeah, you know, the team has some, some success. It's really enjoyable. But uh, towards the end of my 18 years, uh, you know, uh, some players got started to get on my nerves as well. So <laughs> it was time, you know, and I got cranky and it was time for me to move on and mutually as well. The club thought that as well when I was at Brisbane, but yeah, it was time for me to move uh, if, if players are starting to annoy you or some players.
0: So if, if we can just move to sort of more, I suppose, current day Essendon and, and get your views on the, the club as it is right now. So obviously, you know, there's that unwanted piece of history we have at the moment, which is the extended streak without a finals win, which um, we've talked about on this podcast before, and both Grizz and I are of, of the opinion that in the end of the day, if you're not winning the flag, winning the finals, it's it's nice, but so what? But how do you think, you know, I suppose the club got to this point? Because it's obviously unfolded the way it has, if, if if you could change something about you know, the current setup of the Eston Football Club, you could you could just go in tomorrow and say, "Look, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're doing now. This is what we're going to change to do." Is, is there one thing that you pick that you could change, and how do you see the club moving forward?
2: I think it's going along okay, but it's it's never a finished product. So some really good and hard decisions were made over the summer. Maybe not in the right order, or they stumbled over a couple of decisions, but generally the club has, looks like it's put some really good personnel in key roles both on and off the field and i uh, for, we started the coaching Brad Scott he just he's a really professional bloke a really good fella as well but he's got a mean streak in him as well i think uh, and when i say mean streak he's not going to go around belton blokes but he's got he you know when and it'll happen the club will go through its down periods again you know, over time we go up and down, when the media comes at us, he'll defend us. He, he'll be quite staunch and he'll defend his players and he'll defend his club, whereas I'm not sure the the previous two or three coaches uh, have done that as well when they're under fire. So, but look, everything seems to be, you know, from an outsider's point of view, I don't know a lot about it. It's as, I know as much as you guys, but... There seems to be a good environment and a good vibe around the football club that allows players to get the best out of themselves, and that's that's all you you have to uh, to put in place. I think the proof is in the pudding. We could have won five and lost eight, being opposite to what we are now. But um, I counted them today before I knew I was coming on to today, and probably in the footy team, you've got twelve that would say you could say that have improved on last year's performance. And then you've got five young kids coming through that are only going to improve, I think. So if you're having that many players having career best years, you're you're on the right path. Yes, there's still a few gaps to plug. and um, you know, new new players will be playing in our next Premiership team, I would have thought because I don't think we'll win this year, but I, I think we're on the right track. If I could change something at, about the footy club, It would be the drug saga. It was a nightmare that we are only just recovering from. And the last bloke on our list that was there then, I think, is Dyson, isn't it? Dyson Heppel. Yep. He, it's so good. He's had an ordinary last year. I think his body must have been shot, but somehow, and he started a little bit slow this year, but somehow he's found the key to what works for his body. And he's produced some really good footy over the the last four to six weeks whether he ends up if we were to win the premiership this year because we just improve out of sight in the second half of the year whether he's still in the team that's to be questioned but certainly can't fault him and i'm loving the way he's going for example um a lot amongst those other you know 12 blokes that i mentioned i thought it improved on their last year's performance
1: do you have a favorite current esternan player in the team or a team, a player that you think, oh, yeah, he plays like me?
2: Um, Well, you know, geez, Nick Martin's a beauty. He's from over here, Steve Yacko boy. It just he's come from nowhere. He's got so – he doesn't fumble, and that's half the battle in footy. If you don't fumble, you're a quicker player than you are. And he's got so much wherewithal and vision too. So he can only improve as well being a 22-year-old that – is you know only young, only one year into an AFL career he's got so much upside so he's it's wonderful to see him going of the young kids I love Ben Hobbs he just looks like he's just going to be a real solid you know straight up and down player but um just the bloke I my favourite player is Sam Draper and you might see the I've got the the yeah we've I've seen the
0: video I've seen the footage of you and Sammy comparing your hair
2: yeah I'm uh, channeling him at the moment I've got the the uh the mullet going just love he's just the way he goes about things uh so he's just got a lot of energy he um he, he looks like he just loves being there loves the club and he's just a really respectful bloke off the field as well he'll come and if it, you see if he sees you in the room he'll come and say hello he's that sort of bloke you know so i, I imagine he's one of the connectors he, he's sort of the gel that brings blokes together so he's my favorite player at the moment but you know, there's a lot to, to like about some of the young blokes they've introduced, and I'm looking forward to the next month or so, the young Zatsas getting a game as well. I've, I, he's got good wraps on him, and just seeing some of the highlights in the twos, couple of twos games, he played. He's He gets a footy. he, he p- looks like he picks it up cleanly at ground level, and he takes off. He actually bursts out of a stoppage. So that's exciting if he can be one of those players that comes into the side in the second half of the year.
0: He'll benefit from someone like Parish coming back, being able to just feed him the ball, and and he can he can be the one that bursts away because you know we probably do lack that player, other than I suppose Jake Stringer at the moment. And you know Jake, Jake is twenty eight years old and and can't keep doing it forever has a as a one man band in there.
2: Yeah, I think if we get a lot of blokes coming back in the second half of the year, there'll be a there'll be some really disappointed blokes playing his footy, and that's what you need to have. You need to have half a dozen blokes that think, geez, I should be in the team this week. And obviously having to work on the things that it m- might get them in and it just puts so much pressure on the blokes that are in the side. You get so much of better performance from the the team when you've got that sort of pressure. And it's looking that way. So, you know, guys like Durham that have grabbed the spot, Peter Wright coming back, you know, Laverde is back after injury. If you get Parish and Scheel. Um, coming back, you know, even Jake Kelly who can play a, a certain role on certain blokes in the back half. But one one guy I've got to mention too, Zach Merritt over his journey, he's been a wonderful player, but he's been lots of our supporters and me at times with the way he went about things. But he has been exemplary this year in where he needed to improve and he's been a real leadership beacon for some of the other players that still need to improve in the areas that he has so i really want to give him a wrap for his season uh in regard to you know what we've seen in the past
0: i just want to go back to what you're saying about nick martin though because i think nick martin is probably the ultimate example of what of a player who would have benefited from a full twos comp like like yourself because obviously there was something about him at the draft level that he just wasn't ready. Um, he, he also he trained with West Coast. I think he even had a couple of sessions with Freeman in a, a couple of pre-seasons, and, and they, they never looked like picking him up. And then, you know, he came across to us and had that really good pre-season. We took him as a supplementary. So it is it is sort of blokes like him, I th- I think, that would really benefit from it because they're not ready at 18, but four years later, and he's turned himself into being a really handy player at AFL level.
2: Yeah, I'll back that up. He just... He just probably needed time. How they missed him when he was under their nose for a fair a fair period is just well, it's our gain, isn't it? So really exciting player. You know, some of the things that, some of the other guys that can, you know, can benefit from playing a bit of a twos footy in a stronger comp will be blokes that have had a lot of injuries as well, as young kids. So Cox, Zach Reed, Harrison Jones, those guys who I think are all going to be good players. They've shown enough in their small glimpses of footy, especially Cox. On Anzac Day, I think it was a year, a couple of years ago, he he could have been anything and will be anything. He just needs his, to get his body right. And, and they are blokes that will come into the team in the next, you know, or well, the second half of the year and the next 18 months that are really going to hopefully, you know, really springboard the team into being one of the better teams in the comp
0: when you when you talk about you know, you've you mentioned how we've got blokes come back from injuries, just, just casting that net a bit wider. Over over your time, is there is there one player that you're disappointed we never saw the best of? So I mean, as an Essendon fan, I think if, if we we're going way back before you started, obviously, but but Neil Danaher was was the, is the key example. You know, he, he could have been the the best of the lot from from what everyone says, and then unfortunately got injured, never came back. In in modern times, Um, I thought Scott Gumbleton was going to be a a star key position player. Um, I still remember watching him debut and he just had those sticky hands and a a great set-shot technique. Um, And then, obviously, his his body just never let him play, really. So is there any player that that you think of and go, you know, they they were robbed of, of of a really good AFL career?
2: Those two, yeah, Nilo and Scott Gumbleton. I was there when he got drafted. It was so sad because... I don't know, just, he was a pick two and you, you really want your pick two to come through and be a really solid player for you. He He's almost shaped like a, like a, a pear, you know, he just had an odd shape and he had terrible, you know, back related hamstring stuff. So yeah, it would have been great to see him yeah, be have an unencumbered injury career. The other one I reckon uh, I played with Dean Wallace who played in two premierships. He missed so many games through injury. And and suspension as well, I might add. But he just didn't get a run. It. He had a plate. His his first game. Sorry, my first game was his tenth game. He was what was he? He was four years younger than me. So his my first game, his tenth game. By the time I retired, I was two forty three. He was eighty seven or something. Game. So I think if he had have had an just a free run play every game that's where you get your your development consecutive footy and consecutive seasons of doing it i think he could have been you know something you know top player he uh, was as a player for the footy club we just so i would like to see it all over again for dino although sometimes he didn't help himself in his preparation to get through but <laughs> that's uh you know it's he, that's here or there some blokes just have the bad luck some have the good luck
0: I feel sort of bad about bringing up the Fraser the Fraser Brown tackle now you've mentioned him as a bloke that was just, just oh, well,
2: he, uh, he um he had plenty of good finals moments when he uh, ran through a couple of blokes in in the grand finals both of them that um allowed us to walk tall and and win those games I think so Milhan
0: is like still picking himself up.
2: Yeah. He, yeah, amazingly, that day, and that's the difference in the competition now with concussion rules. Mill come on uh, about twenty minutes later. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. sure well, how, different, much, how good he was, but um, yeah, that was the the times, wasn't it?
1: So, just I think to start wrapping up, just to returning to to modern day, what when you look at the group as it is now with the coaching group and. You know, with your parishes, your shields, your set of fields, maybe a Cox or your probably not reed, but maybe a Cox or another player to come in later in the year. What do you think is a real, like, obviously you have your ceiling and your floor, Uh ceiling is, you know, Pine Sky winning a premiership, which probably isn't likely, but what do you think is the likely outcome for this year? What's a pass mark from here? Noting that you know, Bonds and I both at the start of the season thought eight wins was a good total <laughs> for like the entire season. We're at that now. We're eight and five. What's a pass mark from here, do you think, for us? And
2: yeah, I think where people are saying we've got the easiest run on the way home, but I think that included that was from round ten when we had to play uh, North and West coast. Now I think it's comparable uh, draw or fixture to most of the other sides. You have a look at the fixture. We come up against teams. Okay. We've got a few home games, you know, the two Adelaides in Melbourne, but we have to go to Geelong. You know, we play Collingwood last, uh, you Frio know, this week even. But I, I think, and the coaching staff, the club will have the message, okay, it's a year where we're just getting back on our feet and you know, we're just trying to do the best we can and we just want the development of as many players as we can and the team heading in the right direction. But if the team doesn't make the finals this year, it's probably a failure uh, from the bye. And, you know, that's how razor-sharp footy is. I think for us to get the benefit of this year, to be great to be able to play another final that's where your players get experience of, you know, a final's probably worth 10 games and you want as many as your players. And, you know, if you can have four or five young blokes in that finals team, if you're lucky enough to make the finals and play in that, you know, and they pinch one, it's just so much good experience for the, the following few years rather than finish ninth, you know, and go to pre-season early or go to, go to your off-season holidays early, I think... You know, we're eight and five, you know, even though we, it wasn't you know, you and I'd probably agree with you, eight wins probably would have been good at the start of the year. I think I think it'll be a failure if we don't make the finals now. It won't be the end of the world. Uh I sound like oh, I sound like Brian Cook now of Carlton. It won't be the end of the world if we don't make it. But it will be it will be a disappointment after the, the year we've had so far. Just that it'll be a chance to give some, you know, finals pointy end experience to
0: our players i think that's a good good uh spot for us to wrap this this one up gary um it's gonna be interesting because there's i know there's definitely a few listeners who will be listening to this who will be listen to what you've just said about finals and and it's it's they're staunchly against the idea of finals because they're worried that um the club may get ahead of itself a a little bit again if they were to reach finals and and to, to chase a quick fix like potentially we've done previously but I just want to say thank you for coming on. It's been great chatting to you. You are obviously, um, despite your attempts to to stay modest at the start of the podcast, you are an Essendon legend. Whether or not you want to take that mantle, um, and, and you definitely did a lot for the football club. And certainly growing up, gave me gave me a lot of pleasure. Um, in the nineties, there it was it was great to to watch watch you play and and, and watch the Eston football club do its thing during that era. So, you know, thank you for that, and and thank you for coming on this evening.
2: Thanks for the invite, gentlemen, and you know, hopefully we can enjoy some good times for the rest of 2023. As um, you know, really interested in supporting investors and supporters.